Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinzinski and today we're talking to John Beck. Coach Beck, as he is now known, played four years of Division I college basketball at Arkansas State. He now offers individual, small group, and team training, as well as skills academies and team clinics for John Beck basketball. He also has one of the best basketball Twitter feeds going. Coach Beck, Thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to to uh, maybe you know help our listeners out here. Well, I appreciate it, and Coach. I know you've appeared on uh, some other Hoopheads podcasts before and other pod basketball related podcasts, but to me, your Twitter feed hits the mark every time for coaches, players, and parents. It ticks a lot of the boxes we're trying to cover. On this podcast, it's full of almost every message I am trying to send by doing this podcast. So, Coach Beck, my first question for you is what inspires your tweets? Well, it's it's great that you asked that. And a lot of people, you know, reach out to me kind of all over the over the world and they say, what inspires me? And I just tell them it's just the real life experiences, you know, every day it's um I don't think I've had a day off and as long as I can remember as far as, you know, working with student athletes, whether it's, you know, middle school, getting ready for a tryout or a great high school player or a great college player, a professional player, um, and just being able to hear their stories and have talks with not only the, you know, the athletes, but also their parents and their high school coaches, their supporting cast, all the people that kind of, you know, play a small part in their development. And, you know, that's what really inspires me is just, hearing personal stories, um, having those problems arise. And then, you know, ultimately my job is try to help, you know, players, parents, coaches find solutions to problems. And so, um, 
you know, I, I just give kind of my feedback, but a lot of the things that inspire are really just everyday things that come up and I say, man, I can make that into, you know, a small paragraph and really help, help others. So that's a great question. I get, I get asked that a lot. So what, I mean, what led you down this career path then? Did you always think you'd, you'd want to coach? Well, yeah, when I was a, a small kid, I grew up in a gym. My grandmother's actually a hall of fame in the Missouri volleyball coach and just, just always was in the gym, you know, being a gym rat, jump rope, playing volleyball, playing basketball. And, um, you know, it's, I think, she, I think it kind of started there as just the, the love to compete and she was very competitive and, um, you know, but also that, that kind of grandmother that, you know, she's very hard, very demanding, but also can put her arm around you and have a great relationship with her girls. And I think just being around that and seeing it every day is what kind of started my love for, for being competitive, for coaching. Um, and then man, it just grew from there. It's always wanted to be, you know, kind of a lifelong learner and, and learn about coaching and learn about, you know, obviously being a, being a student athlete. And so I think that's where it started for me. Did you have personal experiences that, that kind of fueled your passion for coaching when you were playing? Were there things that happened that, that really kind of pushed you down the coaching road? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, again, just being competitive and loving something so much. I, I don't even know why I fell in love with basketball at such an early age, um, but I just fell in love with it. There were so many great influences. I can't pick out one or two. I mean, my parents, you know, obviously – and my grandparents have the most influence, but, um, you know, I think I fell in love with it in about sixth, sixth grade. It's actually the first time I I really played it competitively and just fell in love with it. I tried to learn as much as I can. I actually got an old book. It was by Ed Schilling and Steve Alford. And, um, it was just about, you know, the mental side of the game and the physical tools and working on your game and, um, just fell in love with it, fell in love with it then. And, I've had so many great coaches. I mean, my sixth grade basketball, my junior high, my high school coach. I mean, I had several different uh, college coaches. And um, but yeah, just just being that lifelong learner and trying to study, you know, everything you can about you know the mental side, the physical side. And uh, I've always enjoyed you know the player development. You know, I think I had a lot of great influences, but I also worked my butt off to make myself you know a Division One basketball player. And uh, that was never my goal. It was just the goal was to be the best player I could become and ended up being division one. And, um, you know, I'm so blessed to have so many great influence. It took a lot of people, you know, for me to, to, for me to achieve that dream. And so for me to say, you know, it was just one, one instance, I think it was just a, a lot of, uh, you know, influences in my life and collectively, I don't think it was one, you know, defining moment. Well, and you know, and this one of the one of the reasons I, I I like doing this podcast, and one of the reasons I am doing this podcast, and being able to pick the brains of super smart people like yourself is, it's like what you said. It's it's not just about the physical part of the game, and I think this is what coaches, you know, and I think as parents, we 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 really you you become you you understand it more as a parent, I think, because you see how things that happen to your child when they're playing you see how it affects them and then you have to turn psychologist right and 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 bring them bring them back off the ledge i mean after every practice after every game you know what what whatever it is that happens you know but but i i appreciate the fact that and and looking through your twitter feed that 
I, to me, I know you, you mentioned the physical part of it, but a lot of your tweets are centered around, you know, they're team culture related and the mental aspect of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, I just don't, you know, I think culture is such a buzzword these days, but it's just so, it's so dynamic. But, you know, a lot of players, a lot of parents, a lot of coaches I work with, you know, they think it's, you know, the culture is, you know, it's about their style or their system of play or the communication as far as on the practice floor or their skill development sessions. Everybody wants to talk about that. And, you know, culture is so much more than that. It's, it's, you know, building good habits. It's about commitment, teamwork. I mean, you know, just, just being able to, you know, make up the heart of a, of great, you know, team chemistry is just so essential to building culture. And it's, it's a lot of the other things. It's a lot about, you know, respecting each other, being able to communicate off the floor more than on. And, um, you know, I always say, Hey, I don't think Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman were hanging out, you know, at the nightclubs, you know, after practice, but they had this ultimate respect, you know, on the floor and, and they respected the differences and it was, you know, allowed them to, to work together. And I think that's what a lot of the culture is, is, you know, it just encompasses everything and everyone inside of a group, you know, team, school, jobs, families, you know, whatever it is. But I think, you know, whatever happens, whether it's individually, collectively, if it's good, if it's bad, those actions impact that culture every single day. That it, You know, culture never takes a day off is, is what I like to say. And, um, you know, whether it's good or bad, and there's going to be bad, but it's being able to kind of work through all those problems and, and, uh, you know, well, one of the things we're going to right, and one of the things we're going to do today is I I, I kind of want to break down, you know, some of the tweets that you have put out um, that are you know that are culture related. But I, I want to ask you, like you mentioned, you know, Jordan Pippen. I would say Phil Jackson probably had a lot to do with that, and I feel like you know I think that the culture. Starts with the coach a lot of times. The NBA, I think, is a little bit different with with professional players and getting paid. That's a little bit that's a little bit different. But I want to ask you, Coach, were you you know you you mentioned some of your your great coaches along the way, but were you also part of great cultures? And if you were, why were why do you consider those cultures to be great? Yeah, I think I was. A part, you know, I was 115 and 14, you know, during my high school career and had a lot of great players. A lot of guys went on to play college basketball. I want to say 12 from my four years went on to play at some level of college basketball. And, you know, it, it was a, it was more of a transformational, you know, than transactional, which ended up, you know, equaling a lot of wins, obviously. But it was just that, that love and respect for each other growing up in a small town. And, you know, a coaching staff, a lot of guys that ha- kind of had the same vision, knew their role. And, um, you know, just put, put more emphasis on, you know, relationships and character and, and serving others and, you know, building great habits and, and, and more about building, you know, great people off the floor. It's so – I think it, it's easier to do, you know, in a smaller school, in a smaller community. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's, you know, impossible to do. It's just a little bit tougher. You got to find ways to kind of navigate through it when it's a, you know, a bigger, a bigger organization, a bigger, you know, city, whatever it is. But, um, you know, just being able to, as a coaching staff or as a mentor or whatever, just being able to have those one-on-ones 
you know, with players and, and get to things that are more outside of basketball or outside whatever sport it is, you know, I think really helps. So, it, you know, in the small town, you know, with, with your guys, right, you guys are probably together all the time. Were you doing things off the court as a team that you felt built culture or was it just you guys were just always together? Yeah, it was both. I mean, I think, you know, I wasn't a big video game guy, but it was a thing where when the guys are playing the video games, I'm kind of in the background talking noise and, and, you know, eating a snack or whatever it is, but just the things that kids do growing up. Uh, But yeah, just always kind of being around each other and whether it's outside playing, you know, golf in the park or, you know, playing three on three basketball, we used to literally, I'd drive my grandpa's truck and I would go pick up, you know, different friends from different towns that are close and we would drive up to you know to a different town and play guys uh, playing three on three tournaments but just always being around you know off the floor more than on uh, but yeah you just build such a great you know team chemistry and it and the biggest thing it was never had to be forced it was ne- it never had to be really encouraged it never had to be hey we're doing this team building exercise I always tell coaches they're like we're going to do all these team building you know exercises off the off the floor and it's like well you know, that's forced. That's, that's not something when you got a team of, of kids that just want to do that on their own and get together and go support other teammates or, you know, do things off the floor and it's not forced because a lot of, a lot of kids, they're smart, you know, they can fake team building. You know, you can have a full, a team full of kids that, that don't like each other very well, but they can go to a team building, you know, thing in front of coaches and act like they're best friends. And I've seen that, you know, firsthand. And so I think a lot of times just being able to, you know, build that, that love for one another. And again, the respect for one another, you know, off the floor where it's not forced is, is just so important. So if, how would you recommend, what would you recommend coaches do then in, in, in that case, you know, cause I, I think you'd want to try to schedule some off the court activities, but are there examples you could give coaches of things that you think work that, that would, prevent the players from doing as you like like you mentioned you know just just showing up and acting like they love each other and then at the end of the day they get out of it they get through it they're done are are there activities that you could recommend coaches do or use in order to get a genuine uh outcome from the events yeah instead of you know I I talk to coaches about this all the time instead of doing team building exercises try to do character building exercises where you're teaching players you know how to respect one another how to do the hard things how to put yourself last and be selfless and so i think when you when you can invest that time and and it's it's going to equal what you want but when you invest that time into the character building instead of just the fake team building hey we took a picture we went out to bowling or we went out to the movie on friday night together you know when you invest that time and not to say there's not a time and place for that but I think when you invest that time in the character building um, and just being able to respect the differences and learn more about each other and learn more about, you know, diversity and, and different things, you know, off the floor and what are their dreams and hopes and their family situation, all those things when it comes to character building, I think you get, you know, ultimately what you want. And um, it, it just makes your team and your kids come closer together and, and not just the, co- you know, the, the players, but the coaching staff as well is, you'd be amazed how many coaches don't know their players and, and vice versa. You know, players don't really know their coaches, don't know about their families and where they're from and just all those little things. So I think just being, you know, very, 
you know, transparent in communication and doing things where you can learn more about each other and, um, you know, be able to respect those differences. I think that's where you're going to get your, your strongest culture. Well, you know, you remind me of a story, uh, one of, one of the guests on the podcast told he's a coach and, you know, one of the things that, that they were doing, um, during a, a season where they had a great run deep into the state tournament was they started doing team dinners on Thursdays and it wasn't, it wasn't like in the school cafeteria, they would go to a different player's house each Thursday you know, and the, and the parents and the coaches too. It was the players and the coaches. They all visited each other's houses and ate ate dinner. The menu changed, you know, every every week. But he said that he didn't realize at the time how big an impact that had on the culture of his team and the bonding and and the strengthening of of the core of his unit that had and. So what you're talking about here really speaks to that. It sounds just like that where, you know, you're getting to know your teammates on really like the most basic level ground floor. Hey, this is where I live. This is where I come to every day after practice. This is where I do my homework, you know, and seeing that and forming that brotherhood. Is that is that what you're really trying to get at when when you're building a team culture? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, these are my siblings. This is what my dog is. This is the pet. This is, you know, just, just being around that environment. That's a great team exercise, you know, and I tell coaches, you know, go spend an afternoon with each one of your players and learn about where they live and their family lives. And, and, uh, you know, and I guarantee in that exercise, everybody was invited. And, you know, there are a lot of times when players don't understand the importance of how, you know, important it is to, invite everybody that's within that team, within that organization. Even if they don't show up, everybody has to be invited. You know, we worked out when I was with Pierre Sweat, we worked out David Lee and and I remember him telling that story, you know, what was when they won their first championship with the Warriors, and they said, what was, you know, the biggest thing to your to your culture? Like when did you guys, you know, just start like what 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 made you win? And he said, our group text messages. He said it was a thing where all of us you know, we didn't do things apart. Now, there were times when, hey, this guy's got a girlfriend in this city and he's going to go have dinner with her. But everybody was invited to go to this to this dinner. And, you know, the group text messages just kind of brought them together. And I thought, well, this is a group of, you know, grown men, a professional, you know, organization. And it's just those little things, like you said, of everybody being invited and, and being able to communicate open and freely, you know, through through text messaging. And so, uh, you know, of course, that's one of those things you write down in your notebook and, and you kind of learn from and, and take with you. But, yeah, I love that exercise of, of the coach you just mentioned. That's something that I'll take take away from this conversation. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm just, you know, I'm curious now because I'm just wondering, you know, when did you pick up on the importance of that? Was it you looking back to your days in the small town and, and you and your guys just being together all the time? Or was there something along the way? Was there another coach that maybe did something similar that inspired you to say, you know what, this is as important as doing, you know, practicing layups at, you know, every day. You know, when, when did that light go on for you? Was there one particular thing or was it just what you've learned over the years? Well, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, 
you know, a part of my environment and growing up, we were, I'm such a family guy. You know, we have a huge family and do everything. It's a family. It's not a cliche thing. I mean, literally I, you know, I'm going to be leaving in a couple of days to go see my mom for mother's day. I mean, I don't think I've ever spent, you know, besides my college basketball days, any kind of, you know, holiday or, you know, without my family. And so, um, I think it starts there. I think learning that, you know, open communication and just being there for each other, having each other's backs. And then, you know, again, being in that small town and growing up with a bunch of guys that you spent so much time with when school was out, um, you know, you just learn the importance of it. It's like, man, I know this guy inside now. He knows all my flaws. He knows, you know, the things I'm not great at, but he also knows what I'm great at. And and everybody kind of knows that about each other. And it just builds that, um, you know, great chemistry and, and, and great culture. I don't think, again, it was one, you know, defining moment. I think it's just, it started at home and it's so important. And that's why it's so important to know, you know, other people's home lives and, and how they were kind of raised in the culture of their home is because everybody's so different. It's so, it's, again, it's such a dynamic thing and everybody's so different and being able to learn and then respect those differences. And, uh, you know, I I used to get in a bad habit of when I, when I taught high school was try to compare my situation to another kid's and you realize real quick, you know, I taught driver's ed. And so you're driving around, you know, all day with kids in a car and you, you hear and listen and then, you realize real quick, I can't compare, you know, I still have a mom and dad that are married to this day and in love and, and, you know, we're all so close as a family. And then you start hearing, you know, about these other kids lives and you realize real quick, I can't, I got to quit comparing. I just got to start listening and, and keep my mouth shut. And so I think it's the same thing as just being able to keep your mouth shut and learn and listen about others, man, it's going to help you really, you know, open your eyes to their situation. And then also, you know, how blessed you are in your situation. Let me ask you this. When, when you left, when you left your small town and you go to Arkansas state and now you have a, a new group of people that you have to break into, were you able to form similar bonds or did you have a similar experience in those four years was there enough time was the coach able to facilitate that what happened when you went to arkansas state yeah so uh, again you just learn so many different you know there's so, it's such a diverse it even goes even more diverse when you get to college you know in different different countries i mean i i play with guys from you know all over the world from russia and from australia and from puerto rico and um you know, just different diversity. So, yeah, but man, in college, you know, you're rooming with these guys. You're you're in a, a dorm my freshman year where you're, you know, sweet mates or hall mates, you know, with, with all the players. And, uh, man, in, in college, you're forced to spend so much time together. And so, um, you know, again, it's just it, – it depends on your personality a lot of the times if you want to be open and go and hang out with and learn. Um, but – you know, I think when the coaching staff can kind of, you know, encourage those things and, you know, be able to be around each other and learn about each other, you know, again, I think that's just so important. Yeah. And so, so essentially then you're saying a lot of that started with, with the coaching staff then, right? Getting, getting the guys together and forming that bond. Is that, is that what you would say? Yeah, and I think I think you just build a. It's it's kind of like the military in a sense, where I think you just when you're doing hard things together every day, and you're having to go through you know physical <laughs> torture at times, 
you're going through boot camp and you're and you're going to the track and the in the heat and the Arkansas heat, you know, in, in August, and you're just having to and you're doing six a.m. runs and you're doing all these physically tough things. You just start to, you know, you start to bond. Um, it's because it's like, hey man, we're all doing this together, you know, and and yeah, coaching staff helps with that, but sometimes it's just natural. Sometimes it's just like you you build this respect for one another when you're having to do, you know, hard, hard things. And, you know, again, coaches can help with that, but I think players just authentically have to, you know, kind of, kind of start to, to open up and talk. And again, you know, coaches can, can have meetings and talk about it, but I think it goes back to the character building aspect as far as just the forced, you know, meetings and, and get togethers. Yeah. I mean, you know, and one of the things we hear consistently from people on, on the podcast is is building that trust team culture almost and it's it's almost you could say team culture equals trust and you know all of those experience right you're you're building trust amongst each other absolutely yeah i mean that's what it all comes back to is just being able to again respect the differences trust one another Uh, and yeah it takes you know if, if you end up someone can't trust you on your team it takes a while to earn that back and so it's very it's a very delicate thing but yeah, d- definitely trust, you know, between each other. And I think that goes back to the communication is being transparent, you know, being able to know, have some self-awareness and, and also to know how others perceive you, you know, on your team. Because sometimes, you know, I saw a quote uh, earlier today, actually, that said, you know, sometimes what we think, you know, about ourselves and, and actually what others think about us is, is the farthest thing, you know, from, you know, it's just, it's so different. I think Stephen King was the, was the guy that said that, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, having exercises where coaches can get players to, you know, anonymously maybe, Hey, who's our best leader? Who's our best, you know, who's our toughest guy? Who's our, who's our toughest, you know, who, who's the best, you know, worker on the team? Who's sometimes, you know, having that self-awareness or how others perceive you, you know, really helps with, kind of building culture too, but, but definitely trust is up there. If you had to do, you know, a pillar of, of culture, you know, trust has got to be one of your, one of your big core values. But I think, you know, you, you said uh, another thing that we hear a lot on the podcast and you said it without saying it, but having roles for all of your players and you mentioned it, right? Like, Oh, here's, he's the, he's our, you know, he's our hardest worker. He's our, you know, he's our tough guy. Like, you could transform those into roles on the floor, right? Like, hey, you're our toughest guy. We need you to rebound, right? You, you, you're a banger. You need to get down there and 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 get us that big rebound when you need. Hey, you know, you're our hardest worker. You are our best defender. You know, that's what that turns into. I mean, do you think that helps in building a team culture? Is to is to carving out these defined roles for for each of the players? If you know, it doesn't maybe not every single one of them, but you know, do, you know does do you think it helps when everybody knows their role and understands it? I absolutely think it helps, and it's it's amazing how many people you know. I ask kids, you know, what is your role? Have you, do you know your role? And they have no idea. No, I have no idea. Your coach has never sat down with you and told you your role. No, and and these are these are high school basketball coaches, and and I'm thinking, wow, you know, but but knowing your role, and it doesn't mean that your role can't change, and it will because you know there's a season has so many ups and downs and changes, but it's you know, it's excelling at your role that you have and working for the role that you want. It's always that growth mindset of, Hey, it's because that's your role right now. That means that can't change, you know, next month, next week, you know, a year from now. And so, um, 
you know, coaches defining roles clearly. It's, and it, again, it goes back to just being transparent, having tough conversations, communicating with your players. And uh, when you can do that, you'd be amazed at, you know, how good they become at it. But it, but it has to be clearly defined. And again, that's going to help your culture so much is I know what I bring to this team right now doesn't mean it can't change, but, um, you know, being able to, to excel at that role, I working for the role that you want is, is just so important. Well, now I want to break down some of your inspiring tweets that, uh, led me to to beg you to come on to this podcast and and so the first one I want to to break down a little bit is you you, you tweeted out to coaches you you said if you want to build trust in your players and within your program you must and then you provide a list number one on that list and please speak to this one first you say to build trust in your players in your program you must be consistent because structure matters can you explain that a little bit yeah, so, you know, again, I think everything comes back to consistency. Like we talked about a second ago, you know, culture doesn't take a day off. And so I just think that, you know, what are you what are you preaching daily? And if it's not consistent, because if the day that something changes or the day that you're preaching this as a coach and then it, you get away from that or you make an exception for, for a situation or someone else or – you know, players are going to call you on a quick, and they know. I mean, kids aren't kids aren't stupid by any means. They're always watching. They're always learning. They're always you know listening to what you say, how you say it, your body language, and so you know. Again, I think it's just it has to be a consistent, a consistent, consistent thing, and it and you have to live by those those values. You know, practice what you preach. If you're not if you're not modeling that behavior, and you're not always consistently backing it up, then you know it's going to be a tough time for you. Number two on that list is hold yourself accountable. If you say it, mean it. Absolutely. Um, you know, again, I, I think sometimes coaches become, you know, a victim of their of their own rules. It's it's you know, if you have a rule, it has to be you know one hundred percent. You're going to be held accountable to that rule. And so, the less rules you have, sometimes again, I think. I don't think everything's black and white. I think it's a lot of gray. And so, you know, you got to be accountable to, to whatever your rules are, to whatever your actions are. Um, you know, again, I just think kids are so smart and they're always kind of looking and waiting for you to slip up. And so it's got to be a, uh, you know, accountability type thing. Well, I think also too, that this one for me, when a, when a player, especially if it's a, if it's a kid who maybe not, may not be comfortable going and talking to the coach goes up to, you know, goes up to the coach and asks the coach, Hey coach, you know, am I doing what I need to be doing, you know, to, to get time, you know, you know, or, or what is my role or whatever that question is, the answer that they get, if it's not the answer that like, if they're told one thing and then something else is done, to me, that is a major culture killer. And that's what I think, you know, I, I think you can, you know, when you hold yourself accountable, if you say it, mean it. I think that line could apply to those situations as well. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think a lot of times, too, is, you know, when, when you're that, that should be something that's addressed early on in the meetings and just talking about, you know, how we're going to do things, which is what, you know, culture is, is how we do things, who we are. And, you know, I think a lot of times coaches will reach out to me and say, man, coach, I, I don't have any leaders on my team. 
And so then I talk, start talking about what are your practices like? What are your off the court meetings like? What are your, and that well, we do this and we do that and we do this. And you realize, so everything's pretty much you. And they say, yeah, you know, and I say, well, you know, you're not going to have, I think sometimes, you know, there are some, some natural leadership qualities, but I think also that leadership is something that has to be practiced and developed just like anything else. And so they have to give up control. And that's sometimes tough for, for an egotistical coach or a, t- a coach that's won a lot of games and they want to do it their way. But I say, how many times are you giving up control? It doesn't have to be your whole entire practice, but what if you went to one of your best players and said, hey, you're in charge of this segment of practice today, or you're, you know, and I can give you a million different, you know, examples of that, but practicing leadership is something that has to be, you know, structured. It has to be something that you're giving up the reins and saying, hey, you're allowing players to set standards. Like, hey, what are some rules we should we should go by? And when you allow players to set those standards and make decisions, and it's not just your rule, it actually gives you, you know, instead of you being the enforcer, it, it gives you, hey, I'm just trying to hold you accountable to your own rules and to your own values, and, and you guys are the ones that set these standards. You're the ones that say this is acceptable, this is not acceptable in our program. And, you know, then in turn it gives you, permission to basically enforce, you know, all those things where you don't have to be the bad guy or the bad girl, you know, you're just saying, Hey, I'm just enforcing the consequences. And, um, you know, I, again, I think practicing, practicing leadership is something that you can, you can help your players with and give them leadership. And then you'd be amazed at how many times they call me back and say, coach, it's unbelievable. Just, just doing those simple things about me giving up control and letting our players, you know, take, take accountability and responsibility for leadership has just changed the dynamic of our entire program. And so I think that's just important too, is sometimes take a step back and, and um, you know, give up some control. Well, and, you know, and it speaks to the last item on, on this particular list, which is being able to clearly communicate, you know, your expectations. I'll just, I'll leave that, just being able to clearly communicate with your players in order to build your program. And I want to ask you this, do you, is, is it, communicating with players today, is it different than it was even 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think just, you know, just look at the forms of, you know, talk about it, um, you know, in different books and things, but just the way kids communicate, you know, it went from, you know, just like social media wise, you know, they just want it in quick sound bites. And so, um, you know, I think it. I think it's a lot different. I think it's different from even when I played. You know, in college and in high school, which is not that long ago. It feels like forever ago, but it's it's not. And um, you know, I definitely think the communication is just such such a, a quicker thing. You know, that we're doing things in you know four to fifteen seconds when it comes to social media. And so, um, but yeah, communicating, being transparent. You know, with players, with parents, and and not just the always given the consequence. Oh, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. It's more just how can we, how can we together work through this? How can we solve the problems? How can we get, get solutions? I think that's what you're looking for, but that communication and transparency, and again, goes back to roles or whatever it is, you know, is something that's uh, very important. So one of the other, uh, one of your other tweets that really struck a chord with me, um, because, and I actually, you know, I've actually had a personal experience with 
with what what I'm about to read. And I'll t- I'll tell you my experience first. I so I, you know, I played baseball in college. I played, you know, basketball uh in in high school. I played football in high school, but I ended up, you know, playing baseball in college and I coached baseball and I've coached basketball, you know, my kids, you know, as the, as they've grown up. Nothing, you know, nothing like you've experienced. But I will say one of the, one of the things that inspired me to to coach. Um there've been a few things, but one of the things was I, I had this 13-year-old baseball team, and I was, I was, you know, in college myself. It was a summer job. It was just something I did for like six weeks and, you know, was part of a parks and rec program. You know, and I coached this team, and, and all of these guys were on the brink of high school. And so what I wanted to do with that, with that team is I wanted to, to coach all these guys and teach them the things that I wish I knew when I got to high school. And, and that's how I coached that team. And I, I mean, you know, we won games or whatever, but my, my, I, I couldn't tell you what our record was. I don't even remember. But the one thing I remember was one of the kids coming back to me like two or three years later and coming up to me. I ran into him somewhere and he was like, coach, I got to tell you, he's like, I was, I'm so glad I played for you because I was, I felt like I was so ready for high school when I got there. There were so many kids that, that didn't, you know, they just seemed like they were, they were behind, but I felt like I was, you know, I was almost ahead of the game because of the things that you showed us, that the things you told us that we needed to know. And to me, like that made me feel so good as a coach. And to me, that's what it was all worth it, which brings me to your tweet and you write coaches. If you want credibility and the ultimate respect from your players, they better believe that you are able to make them better. When they look you in the eye, they need to see that you are in it for them. Every player who is serious and wants to be great wants to be coached. Can you talk a little bit more? Because when I read that, I said that I said that is that is my Danny story right there. And and I just do you think there are enough coaches out there that that feel that way? Oh, I, I mean, I think a lot of coaches make it about them, and it's like that's the opposite of leadership. You know, it's it's leaders eat last. It's it's putting others first. It's hey, this is your dream, and I'm going to help you get there. And um, you know that that leadership, players have to believe it. It can't just be talk. There are a lot of talkers. I mean, I, I see it every day. I mean, there are people that are that are even known. You know, they're semi-famous. They're known for you know being this great communicator. And I've been around those kind of people and they're the worst communicators of all time. And so there are a lot of fakers out there uh, that make it look good on social media. But, but when players, you know, again, it doesn't take long, you know, for players to know, are you a faker? Are you doing this for show? Are you doing this to get, you know, an audience? Are you really, do you really care about me as a person? I mean, are you doing those little things? Are you communicating with me, you know, daily, every, you know, weekly, whatever it is, um, players have to believe that, you know, you're going to be able to make them better on and off the floor. You're going to be there for them, you know, to through the ups and downs. If they, if they get injured, are you going to care about them just as much as if they weren't, you know, or is it just something, you know, a means to an end that helps you win more games. And so, you know, I think like you said, that story of when players, you know, understand that you're just, you know, sports is just a small vehicle anyways to prepare us for life and all the ups and downs and, and all that. I think when, you know, you realize that you're not going to do anything, you know, great alone. There's always going to be people that are, you know, helping, supporting, being there for you. And that's what a coach is, is if you want to be a leader, 
you know, you got to put yourself last and you got to be, you know, taking, taking blame for the, for the bad stuff. And you got to be, Hey, when, when anything great happens, it's because of them, it's because of others. And so, uh, there are some coaches out there that are great at that. And there are some coaches out there that are really bad at that. So, well, and you know, and it, and it leads me to your, to another one of your tweets where, where you said, you know, coaches, when your career is behind you and all is said and done, no one will remember much about your record, but your players will always remember what kind of person you were, whether you cared and how you treated them. The legacy you leave later will be as inspiring as you are now. I mean, where do you, where is the inspiration for these tweets, coach? Cause you're like, man, oh man, like this is exactly what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about here on the podcast. Where is this coming from coach Beck? Well, it, again, I think it just comes from being transformational, you know, and, and not being, you know, transactional and about winning. You're going to get what you want. You're going to end up getting a lot of wins. If when you have that great culture and you're the coach that's, you know, putting an emphasis on the relationships with your players, on serving others, on holding in the standards, yes, but just building the great habits, on doing all the hard things. Hey, we're going to do the hard things. We're going to do it together. On just character and building better people off the floor, you know, man, you're going to get everything you want. But that, but it, again, it has to be really authentic. It can't just be a show. And it, and it's and it takes it's a lot of time and work. I mean, you know, we all know that coaches it's a lot of, of time and work because you have to constantly, you know, you don't get to take a day off from coaching. You have to constantly be there for your players and checking in on, on this and checking in on that. And, and um, you know, it's, it's very, very time consuming, but you're going to end up, you know, making a difference in people's lives. You're going to be a transformational coach. And, and again, it's going to turn into winning. It's going to turn into wins. And so, um, you know, that's where I get the inspiration is just, again, knowing, you know, I have a strong belief in knowing, you know, what I think turns into, you know, to, to winning and that's winning in the game of life. And it's just not, it's not about the, the actual game. It's using the game to kind of, you know, build and refine yourself. And, and those things are, are more off the floor than on. Well, one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is how it's a, this is a three pronged uh, thing team culture it's your coaches it's your players but it's also your parents you know when we're, we're talking a lot you know about high school and you know and, in, and into college but you know high school I think is where the, where the parents really um, make an impact and I think that the the statements that I just read could apply not only I mean that definitely applies to the players the legacy you leave with your players but I think too their parents can you speak a little bit to you know the how important it is to get buy-in from your parents as well as your players. Yes, it's it's so important. Um, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, I've heard I've heard coaches like, for example, say, "Well, you know, we're not going to talk to parents about playing time," and it's like, "Well, okay, you know, that's that's your prerogative. That's that's fine if you want to do that, but why don't you, in turn, just you know, be partners with parents, you know, get communicate with them as much as you communicate with, with players and be very transparent. Just say, Hey, look, you know, Mikey's not going to, he's not going to play, you know, he's five foot five and 
this year he's not going to play. We're going to develop him on and off the floor. We're going to be there and help him have the tools to get better. But there are so many other kids that are better than him, and, and he's doing all the right things on on and off the floor. He's come, he's bringing great attitude. He's a great teammate, but he may not play. I think just being transparent, being able to communicate with parents and and having that same type of love for them instead of just the, oh, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, hey, every parent, that's their all-star. You know, they want the best for their kid. Um, but you also have to be, you know, again, transparent and say, you know, this is what their role is going to be. This is what our coaching staff has decided. And um, But I think just, yeah, having that open communication communication with parents <clears throat> is just as important, if not more important than, than the you know, the communication with your players. Because when they go home, you know, you can be partners with parents. Because when they go home, if, if we're just holding them out, you know, what in turn happens is you're, you're, they're going home and they're hearing it. And they're going to spend – the reality is they're going to spend a lot more time with their parents than they are with you. And so, um, you know, you need to make it where it's a partnership. And then, you know, again, I think in turn you get, you get kind of what you're wanting as long as it's an you know, open line of communication and – and you're very transparent and defining well, the and, for the player. Yeah, and I mean, you never know. You might you might end up with a parent who can maybe even help you, right? You know, I mean, Absolutely. there may be you know there may be some advice in there that they could give that actually helps you and the program. But then you know, again, you know, getting that buy-in, um, you know, again, and, and I love the word you used, partner. I, I think that is the best way to explain it. Like, like think the parents and the coaches can't partner up and help all the kids. That's great. Absolutely. And that's the exercise that you said the coach did when you go to the, you go to that kid's home and you, you know, their parents are probably cooking the meal. And so you get to learn, you know, so much, those things just help, help culture so much and, and involve the parents, you know, involve the parents more, not just in the first of the year meeting. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I talked to coaches about that too, is when is the last time you've talked to the parents collectively as a group or individually? Well, uh, so-and-so call me when her son doesn't play or when the daughter, you know, says, you know, and it's like, well, so that's the only time is when, you know, when are you making it your point to bring the parents together and talk collectively? When are you making it a point to have your coaching staff reach out to those, to those parents and talk about their, you know, their son, their daughter, and what can we do better and what can we help so-and-so with and what's, you know, Hey, you know, cause he's not going to tell us everything what's going on at home? Is there anything we can help with? And, and again, man, it just goes back to that communication and, uh, and, and being partners with parents. I think it's, it's just so, so important. Well, you know, and there's part of me that thinks, you know, and I, I don't know, tell me if I'm crazy, go ahead and let me know. But there's part of me that thinks you could almost have team meetings that include the parents and, and, you know, even like, like the discussions about roles, open discussions about roles, you know, like, Hey, he's our, he's our rebounder. When he goes in there, this is what we need him to do. You know, he's our three and D guy, you know, this is what we, you know, so all the parents, and then they can ask questions. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Like, you know, or, or how come he only goes in when we're down 10 points? Well, it's because he's, he's one of our best shooters. We know we can count on him coming off the bench and he can knock down two threes for us in a heartbeat and get us right back in the game now you're getting buy-in am i crazy to even think that inviting parents to a team meeting no you're not i mean I, I, again if it's you know if it's, it's got to be something they look forward to and i think that's that goes back to that culture what's the environment of those meetings uh but if you make that kind of a fun thing where you're just kind of getting together and it's casual and you're not getting into all the seriousness uh but you have to understand too that sometimes you know home lives are different and sometimes maybe some 
kids don't want their parents there sometimes you know there's just so many dynamics to it and again that goes back to just knowing you know inside and outside your players and their families and um and you know some parents the last thing they want to do is talk in front of others um but again it just goes back to you know knowing knowing your kids inside and out knowing their families uh, but no i don't think that's a bad idea at all i've actually encouraged that in ser- to several different coaches is involve your your parents more and not just you know the first of the year meeting when hey the last time i talked to so and so was 6 months ago when we met you know in august back or you know in september you know in our first of the year meeting and so um, you know having those culture talks with players you know cuz a lot of times like how do you grade culture you know and you can have culture talks and if you involve you know, parents and those culture talks and, and again, you know, what can we do better? It's not, it's not a thing where, Hey, I'm coming in, I'm telling you like it is. It's more of a, what can we do as a coaching staff to better serve you on and off the floor? You know, what can we do better? How ultimately can we, you know, find solutions to problems? And so, um, you know, again, that's, that's how I would answer that. Yeah, I mean, you're forming that partnership with, with parents. I, I, I love that word. I'm going to – okay, I'm stealing that one from you, Coach, because I think that's great. I think more coaches you know, should probably look at that relationship with the parents as a partnership. Now, the other thing I want to get into, because we're picking on everybody. We're not just picking on the coaches and the parents today. I do want to pick on the players a little bit because I, th- I just feel like these days – and this is – okay, I'll read the tweet that, that got that, – that got to me uh, when it comes to the players. And, you know, the, the tweet that you put out is, the point of high school sports isn't getting a college scholarship. It's learning cooperation, loyalty, communication, being a good person, and working with others in good times and bad. If a scholarship comes from that, great. But either way, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I feel... Like this day and age, and I and and I think with social media and all of the things going on, and you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But I just feel like this dream of the college scholarship is ruining amateur athletics. Are you getting a sense of that as well? I totally agree. I, I just, you know, I never made it a. I, I just love basketball. I fell in love with it at an early age, and. And, um, of course, once you get to that point, you have scholarship opportunities. But it was never like, I'm doing this because I want to get a scholarship. It was, I'm doing this because I love it. It's so much fun. It's just something that naturally I want to go and do. And never had, you know, again, I'm in that that scenario where I never had parents pressuring me, um, you know, never trying to, hey, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? They could care less. It was more of, you know, are you getting good grades? Are you, you know, being being a great teammate to others? Are you helping, you know, each other? Are you being respectful to, to everybody in the school system? I mean, it, it was just those things. I, I think, and again, scholarships are great. I, I received, you know, several different scholarship opportunities, but but I don't think it's the point. You know, I think you do stuff because you love it, and usually – if, if you love it and you and you have great habits, then a scholarship is going to be within a reach. You're, you're going to have an opportunity to probably play somewhere. Um, and if you don't, again, the, the you that's 10 years from now is just going to be tougher, more resilient. You're going to be a better everything. You're going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, whatever it is, uh, because you're using the game to kind of refine yourself and, and you know do hard things. 
because sports are tough. None of it's easy. You know, it's it's physically, mentally exhausting. It's challenging. It, it's so dynamic, and but you're going to end up, you know, building all those great habits, and um, you know, it's going to just make it make a better you in the future. Yeah, I just feel like you know, and 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 talking to you know guys that ref that I know, and talk you, you talk to. You know, dads whose whose kids are younger and, and they're coaching now. When you hear some of these stories, I just feel like like this. I, I'm I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but it's almost like you know the parents feel this need for their kid to to be the best and and because if they don't they're not going to get a scholarship now i blame the fact that i mean i don't think college needs to cost you know 40 or 50 thousand dollars a year either so that doesn't help so i can understand where that fuel is is coming from because you know you're feeling the pressure of i'm not going to be able to afford college you know so so he's got to be good at something she's got to be good at something or they're not going to be able to go to college we're never going to be able to afford it. i just think all these things factor in it then you get into the a you and the travel teams and everything and we're shelling out all this money for that because you know we, we got to make sure that they're playing against the best every week you know and and i have you know there i have some questions about that sometimes too because it's like you know or you know his parents are shelling out all this money you know to to make their kid great you know at, at basketball or whatever it is softball baseball call it whatever you want versus volleyball i mean there's there's club sports there's travel sports for everything now even this the cheerleading you know the, it's crazy how much parents have to spend on cheerleading but i just think all of this fuels the wrong message about what this should be and i do think that the coaches play into it a lot of the times, and that's where these cultures just, you know, a good team culture is never going to happen in an environment like that. And, and, I mean, do you understand what I'm getting at with all this? Absolutely. And there's so much, like you said, there's so much social media pressure too. You know, you're always hearing about a kid, oh, I'm thankful to get this and I'm, I'm you know, excited about this offer and, and this. And, and they're constantly being bombarded with this message of me, 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 and and uh, I've got this and I got that. And, you know, I read an interesting stat the other day. The U.S. competitive youth sports industry is a $17 billion moneymaker. And so, but but the reality is, is, you know, you got these kids who they're not elite. They're not even really good, some of them. And they're going and they're and they're spending all this money and they're traveling, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles, even taking flights to play kids from their own state. It's not for every kid. The the, the elite, you know, AAU was was to help with exposure, and it, it's became you know a nightmare. I I feel like and, and and there are good things about AAU. I'm not knocking it. I played it when I was in in high school, but what it's became now is not what it is intended to be. And, um, you know, I think that, I I think that it's just not for every kid. I think that, you know, they could do a lot of the grassroots, you know, local tournaments and just spend a lot of time in the gym, you know, in small sided games and playing a lot of one-on-one and and doing some of these things than to have to spend all this money and time. And then, you know, I've, I've watched several AAU tournaments in the last few weeks, the last few weekends, and it's a lot of downtime. I think I even tweeted that uh, just, you know, kids are going and they're playing two games a day and they're playing, 
you know, one game at 9.30 a.m., and it doesn't last that long. These are, these are not like, you know, full full regulation games. And they play another game at, at 6.30 that night, and it's like, well, and you do that Friday night, you do that Saturday, all day Saturday, you do it Sunday, and then you fly back home or drive back home, and you're exhausted Monday. You may not even go to school on Monday, so you miss your team practice or whatever it is. And it's just a lot of wasted time that it was like, you know, if you look at that, in hindsight, you could have spent this last weekend – you know, right at home playing in a local, you know, grassroots type tournament uh, or not playing at all. Just spent the weekend in the gym, getting individual skill work, working on your game, playing with your friends, building that team culture. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you there. I, I just think it's became, you know, the sports industry has became just a big time moneymaker. And, and I think it's actually, you know, hurt more than it's helped, especially here recently. Hey, coach, I grew up in uh, Slavic Village in uh in cleveland and we had plenty of good runs up at warsaw park every single night and when then we you know when 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 we weren't running up there we went and found runs like we didn't need aau like we we found we found courts with lights when we wanted to play at night we i mean we we had courts forever you know for whatever we needed and they were good runs there were there were always good players up there and like you said you know it, it it's that team building that that, that that's happening you know Without even, you know, without even being at a formal practice, it's happening. And so, yeah, I just think that, oh, you know, there's, this is a whole, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do a whole nother podcast on this because I could go on forever with this. I just, it's just crazy to me, you know, like how, like where we, we've gone with this and you're so right about the social media, you know, um, you know. I mean, it's great that they, that these kids are, are going on and, and and doing some things, but I just I agree. I think that all the other kids feel the pressure of man. I got to put out my tweet. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I gotta I gotta tell everybody I'm going to college next year, you know. But it's like take your time, figure this out, you know. I just I couldn't agree with you more, Coach. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, get the nail on the head with that. And we and we maybe need, you know need to do another whole podcast because I could talk about it all day too. You know, you can't even. You can't go by a court that's outdoor. There are so many parks in this area in northwest Arkansas that I live in. And every time I drive by, it's empty. And you oh. know, it, it was funny because this area, when COVID hit, they took the rims off of the goals here. Yeah, here in too. Northwest Arkansas. Yep. But I thought, well, it didn't matter. No one's going to them anyway. You know, I hadn't seen a kid on that <laughs> goal in, as long as I can remember. And so, you know, times have changed. And, uh, you know, the AU culture has a lot to do with that. I mean, you got kids that won't even, you know, oh, I got to be in an air conditioned facility and I got to have a uniform on. And I, it's like, you know, what happened to the times where kids just go out and play because they love it and it's fun and it's not organized. It's not parent driven. It's not a coach saying you have to go and do it. It's just, hey, man, we're going to lower this goal to eight foot. We're going to dunk on each other because we love it. And then tonight we're going to go play at the park and or we're going to find we're going to sneak into a gym. Or, you know, we're, we're going to have open gym. A lot of times, too, it's it's are you in a, in a culture where, you know, that, that coach is spending, you know, spending a lot of their personal time opening the gym for you guys, you know, letting you come in before school, after school, during the summer months and and develop those skills and not have to be, Hey, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. How about just, Hey guys, ball is going to be there. You do what you want. We got skill development on the side goals. You got, you know, open run on the main goals. I'm not saying much at all. I'm just going to let you guys, figure it out yourself and, and develop some leadership qualities and, Hey, you know, let it go. But, but it, it's not like that as much. It's, it's so organized and so, you know, driven by others that, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's the parents and the coaches that are part of the problem too, and not just always the player. 
Hey, you can't get a scholarship on the playground, right, Coach? I mean, oh, you know, man. it's I'm, just I'm living it, proof that you can. I, I mean, <laughs> literally, literally, I didn't. I, I played very, very little AAU, and it wasn't even AAU. Like I got to be seen. You know, I had you know 20 different Division One scholarship offers. You know, from all over the Midwest and Division Two and NAIA, and I didn't. I had those before I ever played AAU. It was just a thing where I could go and play on a few, few bigger tournaments. Uh, with my friends, really, guys that I knew that were, you know, good other parts of the state. And, uh, you know, I'm living proof that you don't have to have the AAU. I never even played till I was a junior in high school. And uh, it, it really didn't have much much difference on the way I was recruited. I was a small-town kid, you know, played at a 3A school in, in southeast Missouri. And all I did was just develop my game, you know. I was always – I came to school early in the mornings, shot, you know, worked on plyometric, you know, exercises, got in the weight room and just played a lot of one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three with my friends every day after school. You know, as soon as the bus stopped at my house, it was sprint up the hill to my friend's house and we played one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three when everybody got there. And so, you know, you can develop. There's a lot of different ways to develop and it doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't have to be in front of coaches or in front of, you know, with referees. It can be just your love of the game. You know, I I totally agree. So, coach, before we wrap up here, I want to if if people want to get a hold of you, if there are coaches or players or parents out there who who want to get a hold of you and take advantages, uh, take advantage of the help that you can provide. How do they reach you? So you can reach me on Twitter at Coach John Beck, and you can reach me on email at Coach John Beck at gmail dot com. I don't have an H in my in my name; it's short for Jonathan. So, uh, but that's that's the best way to reach me. Um, you know, I don't, I do, don't do Instagram or TikTok or any other social media platforms. Really, I, I do have a Facebook page, um, but but Twitter and email are probably the best, the best ways to reach me. I would have been shocked if I heard you were doing TikTok. But hey, so yeah. speaking okay now now of course I'm sure the, all the kids think TikTok <coughs> is cool, and so that brings us to the the part of the podcast where I get really excited, especially when I talk to somebody like you because this is called What's the Coolest, and I love to ask our guests. What's the coolest place you ever played, coached, or watched a game? Coach John Beck, what's the coolest? Well, that I've that I've actually played in. Oh man, there's so many great college games. I mean, I, I think the one I remember the most is probably I was I played at Iowa State and had to guard Jamal Tinsley and uh, you know, NBA player. That was that was pretty tough. That was probably my most memorable game just because of Big Twelve. You know, I played a lot of different big-time college basketball games, but uh, having to guard him when they had Marcus Pfizer and Jamal Tinsley in there, I think they were an Elite Eight team. Uh, that was probably my most memorable, you know, going into Iowa. And, um, you know, their packed, packed, unbelievable home crowd was probably my most memorable as far as as far as far playing. Uh, did you shut him down? No. It was <laughs> – yeah, he, he embarrassed me. But I did my best, you know. I, I, gave, I gave a lot of great effort, so – but uh, I was a freshman in college, and I think we played nine or ten NCAA tournament teams uh, my freshman year of college. So it was it was rough. But you know, I've also had to you know I was an intern for Pure Sweat Basketball, so I've guarded every you know Jason Tatum and, and Bradley Beal and and J, you know all these great NBA All Stars, Andrew Wiggins, and Joel Embiid. So you know, if if you're looking at it from that standpoint, those are pretty you know, memorable experiences too, where Drew says, Hey, you're going to be, you know, guarding this guy for the next 45 minutes on a, on a ball screen, do your best. You know, So, um, but as far as, you know, my playing experience, probably that the one that 
you know, just kind of jumps out to me is that Iowa State, just because uh, they were such a great team and it was so fun to compete. Man, that's but that's awesome that you you know that that you you have all these personal <clears throat> experience with these NBA players, and you know I, I think that now you can speak from experience when when I think you see a, a kid maybe and say, look, I've covered NBA players, <laughs> and trust Absolutely. me. I think you should focus. I think you maybe should get your education first. Focus on your education because I've covered NBA players and, you know, and I know how elite these guys are, you know? Yeah. You don't want that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and another, another big one in my freshman year, our first game was the preseason NIT. We played Rick Majerus, which was, you know, obviously I love him as a coach and studied him. And, um, you know, he, we, we played the university of Utah at Utah. That was my first college game. And so that was, that's a big time too. Just, wow. Great coach. And rest in peace, Rick. But uh, man, that's such a great memory, too. It's because it's my first, you know, college game going from a small town. It's like, oh, we're going to play. You know, I think they were ranked, you know, 12th in the country at that point in uh, my first college game. So that's a that's a big time memory, too. <laughs> was it like Hoosier? Did you have to get the tape measure out? <laughs> yeah, it was, it's crazy. Those guys were. Those guys I could were only crazy. imagine. All right. Now, coach, the last thing we do on on the podcast is what I call first things last. I'm going to give you a list of firsts, okay? And we just to give us an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you uh, away from basketball. Coach John Beck, what was your first job? My first job, I was gosh, my mom seems to think I was about 8 years old, but I was a paper boy in my small hometown. I mean, literally people were like, how is a kid, you know, I, I think it would be against the law these days, but I was, I was eight years old and I would come home from school and I would roll newspapers till my hands were just completely black. And I had a bicycle and I was, you know, I could ride that bike like the wind. And I, I went and delivered papers uh, and made a lot of money doing it, you know, for, for a kid back that young, um, you know, and I did all the got lemonade stands and all that little stuff to kind of earn. I was always kind of a hustler and, and worked at stuff, but that was probably my first job. I was a I was a, a paper boy on my bicycle. I had the big strap, you know, thing over your shoulder. I would take two full things, so I would I would really double it up. I had it. It was in the front and the back, and I had two of them full. And I would pretty much deliver papers to everybody in my town. Oh yeah, one of my one of, one of the guys I grew up with. He was he was a paper boy in our neighborhood, and we we went with him sometimes to collect. Did you have to go collect? Oh yeah, I had my little money bag and everything, and I would go and and collect. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's something times. else. Like that's something else. The kids these days, they will never like they'll never be a paper boy or a paper girl. They're that's gone. It. You're exactly right. Yeah, you know, I learned a lot of you know a lot of life skills at an early age. You know, having to do that that was that was tough. You know, you show up at home and those big had to go get a uh, box cutter and strap the you know cut the things out and just get to roll. And it'd take you more time to roll than it would to. The, to deliver the papers, I think. Were you delivering the morning paper? Because we in Cleveland, we had a morning paper <laughs> and an afternoon paper, and he did the afternoon, yeah, so it was a little easier. But the morning paper? I did both. Yeah, I can remember doing it in the dark where it was barely light, just riding my bike. You know, and today, my mom was like, gosh, it was so unsafe, and there were so many things that could happen. <laughs> I think it's a different world now. You know, we have an eight-year-old little boy, you know, in the morning hours riding his bike down delivering papers. But, uh, but yeah, that's how, it, that's how it happened. It's crazy. Do you remember what your first car is was oh yeah man my first car was a a 1984 chrysler lebaron convertible and so you can look that up yeah and so (laughs) i think my mom and dad maybe spent eight hundred dollars on it literally and 
it was so funny because I I just warned it because it was a convertible, you know, and you're you, you got a convertible and more girls want to ride around with you. Oh, it's a swagger wagon. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> For sure, and um, but it had a few problems. Like number one, I, and it's so funny that we we talked about this because my dad and I had this conversation, um, you know, back when I was home a couple months back, and I told him I said, Dad, that car, I would literally be driving down the highway, and the lights, the headlights, would just go completely out of the car. And I remember coming home and like, Dad, you know, I, I'm the headlight just go out for like 30 straight seconds. And then my dad was like, it's okay. You just, you know, you just gotta be careful. You know, and I'm thinking, could you imagine driving down the highway going 60 or 70 miles an hour and the headlights just go out. But, but that was that car. It actually had a, uh, a rag top convertible and the back had a little piece of plastic in it. It wasn't a glass window. It was plastic. And it looked like Freddy Krueger. had got a hold of that too. It was just scratched all down through it. And so it was kind of cold in the winter time, but that was my first car. It was, it was rough. It was really, it was really, really rough. But, All right. Uh, so if if you got the swagger, right, I'm sure you had like a nice cassette deck in there, right? So what was the oh, yeah. first? Uh, what was the first cassette you were, you can remember buying? Gosh, I cannot even remember. Or that. even That's record. You remember first record or cassette? I would say way back then, just because uh, my dad was the chief of police of my hometown, and he actually started a. Uh, 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 he actually owned his own pool hall, which is crazy to think about. The chief of police, and he owns a pool hall in, in the small town. But uh, he did it to kind of get some youth inside the pool hall. They didn't serve alcohol. It was a pizza joint. They, actually, they had pool tables, arcade, and he would have bands come in. So I think at a young age, I kind of fell in love with that, you know, late 80s, you know, early 90s kind of heavy metal rock. So I'm thinking maybe Aerosmith, some Poison, uh, Guns and Roses. That, that would be what I can probably kind of remember in those in those early days of maybe my first cassettes oh well there's not there's nothing wrong with that it's okay <laughs> now this is present day this is the last one what is the first app that you check every morning when you get up well i don't i try to stay away from it right when i get up but definitely twitter uh just because you know that's just my kind of what i like the best and kind of how i get some news and and I love it because you can follow who you want and kind of learn from other coaches. That's that's the biggest thing is I'm just a lifelong learner. And so being able to, you know, see what other people are doing and and uh, keep in touch with people, I, I think Twitter's you know, the first thing I go to for sure. I'm, I'm right there with you, Coach. Coach, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. Coach, thank you for having me. I, I love, I always love to talk, you know, culture and talk hoops and, it's just great to have you know basketball conversations and and life conversations. So I really appreciate you having me. I think I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Well, we will have to get together again, and we will have to talk about <laughs> the detriment that is uh, you know the college scholarship and the and the, and the, that carrot that dangles out in front of so many you know kids and parents and and what it's doing to to all of us. We'll have to have that conversation one of these days. Absolutely. I look forward to it. That's that's something we could definitely get into because it's, uh, man, it's it's a tough conversation, but it's something that's needed. <laughs> All right, Coach. Thank you so much. Well, hey, if you know a great coach like Coach Beck who's doing great things, winning games, and building a great team culture at the same time, I want to hear about him. Remember, we may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1 and on Facebook and Instagram at courtside culture podcast remember folks build your players strengths find them all a role and you will take them 
from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.